You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kozilski. Welcome everybody to Soul to Soul. This is Rabbits and Adol Kozilski and we are here to learn a little bit of Torah together to delve into the mystical teachings of this beautiful book we call the Five Books of Moses, the Torah, that uh, we believe was given directly to, to us for, by God through Moses um, and uh, has been studied for many, many years. You know, I was just thinking before I got onto the show, I once had a an individual come to my house and uh, this was a very... Uh, Educated individuals, somebody well-to-do, they, they were very worldly, um, very intellectual, understood a lot. And uh, we entered into quite a heated debate as to how do we know that the Torah was true? How do we know? Okay, and there are many, many ways, obviously, to skin the cat. But um, in in the course of our conversation and in, 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 in me you know, trying to explain to him how Torah was transmitted. And most importantly, Torah was always transmitted in such a way that nothing was ever changed. That which we are learning today on High FM on the airwaves is the same words, the same letters, the same vowels, the same ideas that my father learned, my forefather learned, all the way going, all the way back down to Moses. Nothing has changed. There's been an authenticity about it. We don't have Bible edition one, edition two, this type, this edition, that edition, that print, that, you know, the print there. It doesn't matter where you would find yourself. Um, in the world and in which age you would find yourself, we would always, always be able to open up a Chumash, open up the five books of Moses, and you would see the exact same words, exact same print, exact, exact same vowels, letters, verses, etc., etc. And in fact, I remember, and I was just thinking about it as we, as we were getting on air, um, I actually gave a visual example to, to this person sitting with me. I said to him, Come over into my lounge, and in my lounge we've got a, a beautiful cabinet. We restored it, um, and in it um, lies a whole lot of old books that uh, that we inherited from one of the country schools that, that that had 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 closed down. They were about to be thrown into Seamus. They were about to be taken to the cemetery. And be buried, and we managed to scuttle a whole lot, and we figured it would just be like it would be a very nice centerpiece in our lounge to have like a, a you know a restored cabinet with old books in it, and in there we have books from the early 1800s, Chumashim, the five books of Moses. We have Gomorrahs, we have Sidurim, we have all sorts of books there. And when you obviously open the front page, you can see this was um, printed in Latvia. This one was printed in, in, in I think it's in, in, in some other places in Russia. Can't remember all the things, but I do remember that the printing of all these books were from the early 1800s, from 1800 to about 1850. So we kind of got books that are about 200 years old. Anyway, I went over to that uh, that that bookshelf and I pulled out a Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and I opened up its old, faded, you know, um, really wavy type of of, of pages. They, 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 the 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 printing was still quite dark on the page, though the page had aged uh, considerably. 
And I said to the guy, look at this over here. This is the book of Genesis. This is the book describing God's creation of the world. Look at the first verse. Bereshit bara elokim et ve'etaretz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Look at it. Can you see the big bet? Can you see the way it's written? Can you see the little aleph designating that this was the first verse of the Torah? And he looked at it. It's, it's, it's quite an awesome thing to see what a printed book looked like 200 years ago. I let that sink in for, a, for, 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 you know, 30 seconds, for a minute. And then I said to him, come over here. And I brought him into our passageway where we have a huge big bookshelf with really literally hundreds of books. And I walked over and I went to the, the section that we, where we keep all our chumashim and I pulled out a new art scroll, um, which we have on our shelves also. Safer Bereshit. And I opened that in front of him and I said to him, read the first verse. That, that you see over here. And obviously that art scroll had the same letters, the same verses, the same words, the same vowels, the same everything, the same commentary of Rashi to the T that there was 200 years ago. And whilst this is not the only proof that you can have, if you go back and you will look at, ev- at, at, at Chumashim earlier and earlier down the line, if you go to, 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 uh, Jewish museums around the world and, um, you know, you see old books from there, you will see that it's the same words, same letters, same language, same, same everything. And, um, this is, this is one of the beautiful, um, ideas of Torah, the eternity of Torah, that despite where we found ourselves, whether we were Ashkenazi or Sephardi, whether we lived in the 14th century, the 16th century, the 21st century, whether we were in South Africa or Venezuela or Auckland, it's irrelevant. If there was Chumash to learn, then we opened it up and that Chumash, that, the, those five books of Moses was the exact copy of what we are, we had, our forefathers had, going all the way down, back down to Moses. And that's the brilliance of learning Torah, is that you're learning something eternal. You're learning God's wisdom. You're learning, you're learning from the source of, of, of the, of the creator, from the wisdom of the creator. And, uh, certainly during this segment, uh, my wish is that the time that we spend together, we're not only learning the content of the book of Bereshit, of, of not particularly the book, but the Pasha of Bereshit, the, the, the section that we are going, that describes the creation of the world, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, but that you actually have an appreciation that that which we are learning, each and every single Jew that has pre, preceded us has learned. And that is something phenomenal. And, um, when you sit and you learn and you hear that these concepts and ideas were presented to Hadrian, for example, in the Roman time, that it was discussed by the great rabbis of the Sanhedrin, that even in those times they were saying, who are we? Why was this world created? How was it created? What does it mean, this whole creation? Does it mean that we have purpose? Does it? What does it mean in our lives? The questions today are as relevant as they were a hundred, five hundred, a thousand, two thousand years ago. And this is the beautiful, seamless tradition that has been passed down generation by generation. And we should have a great appreciation for that. Um, because that is fundamentally our roots. Not too many other nations can look back in the, it's the, their liturgy in, 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 in their academic books and see that there's just been a seamless teaching. Something that has remained authentic, has remained 
true from the time that the source was given over to the people all the way till today. Just something small that I wanted to share before now that we get into the 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 next verse of the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2. Last week we spent a lot of time on the first verse, Bereshit bara elokim et ve'ta'aretz, that God created. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. We discussed if there was something before the beginning. We discussed what it means that God created, that the word elokim is used for God. And we discussed the fact that the words et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz are indicative of the fact that God created everything that was in the heavens, not only the heavens, but everything that was found in the heavens and the earth and everything that was found um, on the earth. And really what happened after that was that God dished up um, everything that he had created on the first day, he brought out as somebody who was sitting down for a meal. He brought out the courses, so to speak, over the next uh, six days, and he put everything that he created in place. So that's where we are right now. Um, I would love that you join this conversation. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's anything that's bothering you or Anything, a comment that you'd like to say, please join, please join me in the studio. You can call on 010-140-3020. You can SMS on 34519. Email on air at chayfm.com. Or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, we're going to now look at the second verse. Maybe, maybe we'll get into the third verse of Genesis chapter 1. Okay, we're on verse 2. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The second verse reads as follows. Um, and I actually have to... The earth was, and it's translated here as astonishingly empty. The choshech. And darkness was found upon the surface of the deep. And the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the waters. Very enigmatic, very strange. Like, what does it all mean? Let me read it to you again. The earth was astonishingly empty with darkness upon the surface of the deep and the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the water. What does that all mean? Well, I'm not going to be able to tell you what it all means, but we can kind of dissect it and just understand certain words and certain descriptions and try to kind of get a picture of what what was happening based on the premise that God, in the beginning, God created everything in the heavens and everything in the earth. Now what we are dealing with is that this earth was astonishingly empty. Almost to draw the analogy um, as described, that you've cooked the entire supper, but the table is astonishingly empty. There's a darkness on the surface of the deep. We need to understand that. And God's presence was hovering over the surface of waters. 
Well, the first thing that our rabbis bring to attention is a change in vowels. Generally, you can see from the first verse and then again in the second verse, when we're talking about earth, they use the word aretz. Okay? Bereshit barai lokimet ha-shamayim ve'et ha-aretz. The, 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 the earth. The ha-aretz and the earth. This earth was astonishingly empty. Now, the rabbis go and teach that when you see the word Aretz, what you are actually saying, many, many of the rabbis view this as a general term. Aretz is a general term referring to the entire universe. Because when you actually talk about a piece of land, when you talk about something on planet Earth, you use the word Eretz. Okay, we take the Kamats, the A under the Aleph, Aretz, and we change it to Eretz. We do not say Aretz Israel. We say Eretz Israel. So Eretz actually means the physical earth as we know it. And when we talk about a certain land, the land of Israel, we say Eretz Israel. When the Chumash is talking about Eretz, it's talking about the fact that this is when, when we are saying now, that the earth was astonishingly empty, it's talking about the entire universe. It's talking about existence as we know it. This is what was astonishingly empty right now. Not the land, because if you will hang around with me in a day or two or three, uh, not in a day or two, in a two or three times, um, you, uh, uh, two or three lessons down the road, you will see that God actually creates Eretz. He creates land on the third day. In verse 10, you'll see that God creates, uh, creates, creates land. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. If you look at verse 10, you can jump. It says, Vayikrai Elohim Yabasha Eretz. God creates, God calls the dry land Earth, and the gathering of the waters he calls seas. So when we go back to verse 2, and it says, that I'm translating it as earth, we're talking actually that the universe was astonishingly empty. And when it says, that there was a deep darkness on the surface of the deep, and God's presence was Ruach Hashem Merachefet Al Pnei Hamayim? God's presence was hovering over the water. We are not talking about dry land and the sea. We're not talking about that. This was a different composition. This was something completely different. Formation had not taken place. So here is just a clue that you should always keep in in in. Uh, in, in, in mind that when you see the word Aretz, we're talking about more of a universe. And when we're talking about Eretz, that's when we're actually talking about, about land. Now, we are following Rashi's commentary where this Tohu Vavohu, some call it astonishingly empty, others call it null and void, some call it um, confusion, tohu vavohu, there was like a, a confusion, there was a, 
a discombobulation of stuff. Um, we're following Rashi, who explains Toho as meaning astonishment and amazing. Okay. And he basically goes and says that the earth was completely, the earth was sitting, the Midrash actually follows up on Rashi and says the earth was sitting completely bewildered and astonished. And it said, the heavenly and earthly beings were all created at the same time. Why do the former live eternally, whereas now the latter are going to be more mortal? Okay, so it, the, 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 the universe was baffled as to the fact of why was God now going to start creating an entity where there was going to be mortality, where there was going to be finiteness. But to answer that, we've got to understand why God created the world in the first place. Why did he want to create the world? Imagine in your mind's eye. And let us let our imagine run a little bit because we can't really wrap our mind around it in its entirety. But you're God. You're one. You're omnipotent. You're infinite. You're everything. Why, if you are everything, why would you want to create something outside of yourself? You know, if you are completely fulfilled, you've got everything you need. You desire absolutely nothing because you are complete. Why is it that you need to create something outside of yourself? And the answer given is that if one enters a relationship, if one enters into a communication with something outside of oneself, and one manages to form a deep, meaningful, strong powerful connection it adds to one's fulfillment in a way that one cannot fulfill being on its own and that really is one of the reasons why God created the world he was looking for a relationship and what he decided to do was create a world that was outside of himself so to speak meaning that the world took on the nature of the world was such that for all intents of purpose, the world understands that it stands alone, like God is something outside of themselves, even though the essence is that it's not true, that God vivifies and, 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 and energizes everything, and God is everything in this world. But the way God enclosed himself in this world, the way God concealed himself in this world, is that this world seems to stand on its own. And then the purpose of creation comes into play. The inhabitants of this world, you and me and all those created, need to go and seek out that relationship with its creator. And if we are successful in that, not only are we fulfilled and not only do we reach the highest levels of satisfaction and of, of, of fulfillment, but God himself receives a tremendous amount of pleasure from it. So in the beginning, when God created the world, our Kabbalists teach that because he was infinite, because he filled all space, what God had to do was that he had to retract from a space, kind of almost create a black hole, devoid of him. 
And then he came back into that black hole and he came back very focused. Um, his, his intensity and light with which, which was the creative power was focused almost like a laser beam. And with that energy, the world was created. And then God now waits in this interplay to see that we can have a relationship with him. When we don't, we create misery for ourselves. We create misery for the world. We create what we deem as negative in this world. When we find God, when we connect to God, when we have a relationship to God, that is when we have something real and we have a relationship with God and we fulfill the purpose of of creation. Now we go back to verse 2 where the world was astonishingly empty. The world was starting at the very beginning, waiting for God now to fill that that deep black hole with stuff. But it was astonishing. The desolation at that point in time was 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 it was absolute. There wasn't a tree. There wasn't grass. There wasn't man. There wasn't beast. There wasn't bird, fish, insect. There wasn't even. Darkness and light. There wasn't wind and there wasn't water. There was just that vacuum. And in that vacuum, the consciousness, so to speak, of the universe was astounded that there was that emptiness. And the Ramban mystically comes and interprets the word tohu as it as. It's, he says the tohu was a very thin substance. It was entirely devoid of form. It only had potential. And from that potential, the primary matter was created from absolute nothing by God. And he calls that in Hebrew, chomer hachilui, from the Greek, highlight meaning matter. So from this chomer hachilui, from this tohu, from this very thin substance, God formed and brought everything into existence. He like kind of clothed everything. He brought them to the finished condition. And the Ramban goes on and says, if that is tohu, tohu became bohu. Bohu, he says, don't read as bet hey vav, as a, read it as bohu is a composite of the two, to, two words, Bo hu. In that there is substance, which means this tohu took on a form and became bohu, something. And what was this something? Very interestingly, the Ramban quotes the sages of the Gomorrah in Gomorrah of Yoma, and he says that tohu that became bohu. Something of substance, that very thin substance that was like nothing. It was like kind of like a potential that almost became kinetic. It started, it started forming. That initial formation formed what the rabbis call Evan Hashtia, the rock of foundation. And if you follow the verse, okay, um, and if you follow the Gomorrah, in fact, we know and we are told that the entire world flowed from this Evan Hashtia, from this rock of foundation. The whole world was founded. And here's a question. Let's see if anybody can answer. Where can we 
find this Evan Hashtia. Meaning what I'm asking you is if there was nothingness, there was potential. And then God took this, as the Rambam calls it, this very thin substance of potential and changed it into bohu, something of substance. And I'm telling you that something of substance was the Evan Hashtia. And then I'm further telling you that the Evan Hashtia was the, 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 that formation was from which the world was then founded. Where is this Evan Hashtia? Let's see if anybody can answer that out there. You can SMS on 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. Join the conversation. Where is this Evan Hashtia? I'm going to leave it to the end. Let's see if we can get any answers out there. Let's continue then. Um, on this verse, so we've got Aretz Haita Tohu Vavohu. This this universe, remember Aretz with the, with the comets. This universe was astonishingly empty. Vechoshech Tohom. There was a darkness on the surface of the deep, and the Talmud goes and tells us this darkness was one of the one of the things that was created. On the first day, in fact, it was a creation. Darkness was a creation. It preceded the creation of light. But this darkness wasn't darkness was not merely the absence of light, but it was a specific object of God's creation. We've got it clearly in Isaiah. We say it in the blessings um, of the Shema. Um, before the Shema, we say, Yoitzer or Vore Choshech. He forms the light and he creates the darkness. Okay? And the darkness, um, this darkness that was hovering, that was found on the face of the deep. Many go and say, what was this darkness? Because it wasn't, it wasn't the absence of light. The Ramban. And the Rambam, Maimonides and Nachmanides go and say it refers to the elemental fire, which is dark, because we know when it is red, it would redden the night for us. Okay, so the Choshech al Tohom refers to this elemental fire, which Nachmanides and Maimonides go and say is still found deep underground even today. Kind of, I would probably think that this fire is kind of like the heat, the lava, the, the epicenter of the world where our the scientists today tell us is it's very hot. I would almost go and say that kind of when you see a, a volcano erupt and the lava comes out, that was this darkness that was hovering on the surface of, of, of the deep. So, um, this surface of the deep, by the way, is this deep, this tahom. We're not talking about the rivers and the streams and the water and the seas as we know it. This tahom was a great mass of undivided waters which, which filled the space. Okay? Um, and the Radak actually goes and says, any great, great mass of water is referred to as it as 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 to home, so what we understand now is that this darkness 
lay on this turmoil, on this tohu vavohu, on this maybe this ether that was waiting to come and become formed. There was no light to penetrate the mass and kind of like awaken it. And that's, that's where the world was at this point in time. And there was one other element to this. Ruach Hashem, Ruach Elohim, Merachefet al Panei Hamayim. The Spirit of God, the Divine Presence, hovered over this mass of, of water. And remember, we're talking that the waters weren't divided yet. That only happens in the coming verses. So in your mind's eye, you can kind of like pick up that right now we're looking at a black hole. A black hole probably where there was fire, there was ether, there was the beginnings of something stirring into formation, into creation, but nothing as yet had come into reality. Just before we go for the break, again, the question that I'm asking you is that this ether or this, this, this thin Substance, we are told, changed into the Evan Hashtia, into the foundation stone. Where is this foundation stone? You can uh, SMS on 34519 or on WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and uh, we're trying very hard to explore the beginnings of this world, trying to have an intellectual grasp of what was happening. And um, I'm asking the question, where is this Evan Hashtia? Where is this foundation stone? I'm waiting for some answers to be coming through. Thank you for those that have participated so far. Where do you think this Evan Hashtia is this foundation stone? We will get to it at the end of our show today. Let's go and understand what it means that Ruach Elokim Merachefet Al Hamaim, that the Ruach, the Spirit of God, the Divine Presence was hovering. Okay, so now Ruach can be translated into many, it has many, many different definitions in Torah. When we look at the word Ruach, it can mean air, okay? Um, and it's maybe one of the, 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 the elements, air, wind, water, and fire. So in this context, when it says Veruach Elohim and the air of God means the oxygen that was needed now to start creating was found. And so too was this Choshech, this darkness, which the rabbis, Nachmanides and, 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 and the Maimonides in particular go and say it was the fire. We now start seeing the first two elements that were there. There was air and there was fire. Okay. Um, but Ruach can also mean a blowing wind. Okay. You could see that in, 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 in the, Exodus, when it comes to the splitting of the sea, there was this ruach, this, this wind blowing wind. Ruach can also mean breath. And we see that when God created uh, Adam, he breathed into to him, breathed. They use the word ruach. Um, so that can mean that that part of our neshama that we call the ruach is an indestructible part of our soul. That air that we've got inside of ourselves, that energetic soul that we've got inside of us. Um, 
We've also got the idea of Ruach when it comes to divine inspiration, when prophets um, would prophesy the, the, the word Ruach is also used, that a spirit of prophecy would, you know, would enter into them. So the Rambam, again, Maimonides goes and explains that Ruach has many, many, many connotations. But from here it seems that we could actually take every one of these explanations and say they were part of creation. Number one, there was air. God created oxygen. God started creating air. That, that was the Ruach Elohim that was hovering. There was oxygen hovering in the atmosphere. Okay? Blowing wind means that Hashem was now blowing into the, the, this world wind that would start separating things and start dividing up the atmosphere. If we're using it in the context that God breathed into us a ruach, breathed into us is that God was breathing his creative force into the world to start creation. And finally, you know, when we say that the prophets receive a ruach, a spirit of God, that the spirit of God was hovering over this, this, this huge tahom, this, this mighty amount of water that we found very interestingly, um, this comes to teach us a very interesting concept and something that we mentioned last week. We said that there were a couple of elements that had to be in place before God created the world. Um, if you remember, I said he had to have the Torah in place because the Torah itself, the Bible itself, is the blueprint of creation. It's the architectural plans of creation. We said that God had to create the ability for repentance because no human being could live in this world without having the ability to repent, to say, I'm sorry, because we are, um, you know, we are fallible human beings. We said that God created reward and punishment, the, the Garden of Eden and purgatory. We said that God created his kiseh hakavod. He created his throne because the world has to have a God, it has to have a king. And finally, we went and said that God created the concept of Mashiach, of the Messiah, and of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple where we could see godliness. Now, many commentators go and take the word Ruach Elohim, the, the, the wind of God, the spirit of God was hovering and said this was the Ruach Mashiach. This was the spirit of the Messiah. What does that mean? It means that embedded in creation, embedded at the beginning of time, was the purpose of creation, and that was for us to bring it to a messianic place, to a place where we will see the spirits of Mashiach, of Mashiach, which means the spirit of God, where we will see him in his entirety. There will be peace. There will be lovingness. There will be health. There will be all the good things that we know will come when Mashiach reveals himself or when this messianic redemption reveals itself. Then we will see, we will come to the purpose of creation at the end of creation, but it was there at the beginning of creation. So, Ruach Hashem Merachefet al um, the spirit of God was hovering, could either again, let's go through it, be the fact that God brought oxygen into that space so they could start, creation could start. It could mean that God had winds blowing, meaning that things were now going to be separated um, as the wind blew and 
separated the sea when the Jews crossed um, over in dry land after leaving Egypt. It could mean the breath that God breathed into this world, the potential of creation. It could also mean that there was this divine inspiration, that there was something over there that God was putting in to embedded in the fabric of creation to remind us that we have a purpose, that we have to come to the Ruach of Mashiach. And some rabbis, very interesting, say that this is esoterically explaining the Kiseh HaKavod. It says, the throne of divine glory stood suspended in the air, hovering over the surface of the water by the breath and the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be He. And that's the word Merachefet. Merachefet means to hover. Very, very interestingly. Now, um, once God penetrates Alpanea Mayim onto the surface of the water, things start to change. Because what happened with this water on the, in this verse, what happens on the second day is that you'll see it gets divided into three forms. A part becomes the seas. A part becomes the firmament, and a third part becomes that which is above the firmament, which is entirely beyond, beyond earth. But right now, what we are capturing in is the idea um, that there's this hole, there's this space, and God is now enter- entering in it in the most powerful way. There's perhaps fire, and there's oxygen, and we are soon going to have Water, and then from the water, we're soon going to have earth coming as the creative process happens. We've got a couple of minutes after the ad break. Last time, where is this Evan Hashtia? Where is this foundation stone? Where is this ether that turned into a stone that poured out and allowed the foundation of the world? To be created. Let me know on 34519 or 0618951019. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed, you are, and I'm going to leave you in this abyss, in this creative abyss, because next week we are going to be starting to realize form in this wonderful, beautiful world that we have. Um, I've got a comment. Thank you, Adel's super program. I am a German, not a, not Jewish. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you are joining us because at the end of the day, this world was created for all of us. Um, we're all part of uh, humanity, and I'm glad that you have indeed tuned in, and hopefully I have enlightened you with um, some of the ideas. So where is this Evan Ashtia? I can see that I have stumped the zoo. Um, not too many people have come up. I've got one person saying in the Torah. Yes, indeed, it is in the Torah, but where in the Torah is this Evan Ashtia? I'm actually looking for a physical place on planet Earth. Maybe I wasn't completely clear, but I'll take you out of your misery right now. Um, we are we are taught that the Evan Hashtia is actually the foundation stone is found um, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Okay, um, somewhere deep down, perhaps um, inside that part of the earth, that is the the place from which the whole of this world was birthed. It is the eye of the universe, and that is why um, we can understand, and it's explained why this Temple Mount, upon which the first and second uh, temples of the Jewish people were, and which, please God, the third temple will be on, um, which. It's obviously a contentious issue right now. Why 
why always the world was looking at conquering Jerusalem? It's, it's an enigmatic question like what did the Romans and the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Spanish and the British and the, you know, the Ottomans and you name it. Everybody has always marched back to the land of Israel, back to Jerusalem. And everybody has had an argument about that, that, uh, that space. Okay, by by the Western Wall, that mound of earth. Why? Because we are told Kabbalistically that the Evanashtia is found in that vicinity. In fact, we're told that the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, which was the most sanctified part of the temple, where no human being went except the high priest, and not only not only did the early high priest go, but only on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, which is the holiest day of our uh, Jewish calendar, um, in there. One could sense the the opening, the the place where the Evanashtia is found. Imagine now, I can tell you, just imagine the entire world came and was formed from that place, um, and you can understand then that's why Israel is very much in the center of the world. Okay, so everything flowed outwards, and the entire world was created. So we're going to leave it at that. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the show. As always, I welcome your comments um, and your questions. Tomorrow, please, God, I will be um, on radio around about quarter past eight with Howard Feldman discussing are we living in messianic redemption times. And uh, if you have any questions or you've got any comments, we've just learned that Mashiach was found directly um, at the beginning of creation, it hovered. It, it was the, 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 the raison d'etre of the world. It was there before even light and darkness was created. You can call in and ask any questions, join the conversation, and in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of a Monday and a wonderful rest of the week.